Hey, Tyler Shields here, pastor of Rock House Baptist Church. I want to personally thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray that the message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to be the person that God desires you to be. Be sure to check us out online at rockhousebaptist.org where you can find out more about how to connect, grow, and go. And now, today's message. So we're going through the Word together. And again, I'd like to remind everyone, if uh, you don't know what we're talking about, we're going through a reading plan together this year as a church, reading through the Bible, and encourage everyone to uh, join us on this, and we can get you a reading plan. It's not too late to jump on board if you'd like to, to uh, go through this with us. But last week, Pastor Brian did such an excellent job of uh, taking us out of the uh, first five books of the Bible, Deuteronomy, and he, he explained uh, the end of Moses' life and the end of his leadership over Israel. And now where we're at today, Joshua has taken Moses' place. And Joshua, uh, really, you might say he was Moses' apprentice, his right-hand man. And those of the older generation have all passed away, the ones that refused to enter the promised land. They've all died except for two people, Joshua and Caleb, two of the twelve spies, the only two that brought back a positive report about the promised land. And they're going to be rewarded and get to go into the promised land, the only ones out of that generation. And so Joshua, in the early chapters of his book, have has had the people make preparations to enter the promised land. And again, they send spies into the land ahead of them, especially to this city called Jericho, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. And Jericho is one of the oldest inhabited cities in the world. It's still inhabited uh, to this day. Matter of fact, we were there back in January, and Jericho is a pretty large city, lots of people. And even back then in Joshua's day, it was a strong, fortified city, had great walls. And the spies went into this city, and they almost got caught. But they're helped by an unlikely character named Rahab. And it turns out, after talking to Rahab, the spies find out that the people of Jericho were actually afraid of the Hebrews. They were afraid of God's people. They'd heard all the stories. They'd heard about what happened in Egypt, what God did to Pharaoh and the Egyptians and delivered His people out of that place. They'd heard about God uh, fighting for them against these other people. And Rahab went so far to say that she knew God had given the land to them already. And even today, we see the legacy of what God did for His people way back when. It's still in place. Matter of fact, this past week, the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, was talking, and he said, you know what, talking about this coronavirus, this pandemic, he said, folks, we have overcome Pharaoh, and we will overcome this coronavirus as well. And so this story continues in it, over thousands of years. But after scouting out that first city that they had to conquer, the people crossed the Jordan River towards Jericho. Now, the Jordan River is not a huge river by any stretch of the imagination. Normally, this wouldn't be a, a real issue, but at this particular time, the Jordan River was actually flooded. And so the priests step into the water, carrying the Ark of God's Covenant, and for the second time, God parts the waters 
and allows his people to walk across on dry ground. We typically only remember that one occasion when God parted the Red Sea, but God also did it a second time for Joshua and the people to go into the promised land. He would do it a third time some years later as well. And so finally, I mean, think about this moment. Finally, after 40 years, they entered the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that God had promised to give them generations before. And the Bible says basically immediately they go into the land and what do they do? They started to eat. They started to eat the fruit of the land of Canaan. And when they did that, the manna stopped. The provision that God had given them food to eat every day, that stopped because there was so much for them to eat there in the promised land. But it wasn't just enough to be in the promised land. The whole land was theirs for the taking. God had given it to them, but there was some work that they had to do. They had to literally drive the evil out of that land and go on a systematic conquest of the promised land. I think there's a lesson there for us that God wants to give us a lot of great things, but I tell you what, sometimes we've got to work for it. We've got to do our part as well. And so that brings us to Joshua chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning in Joshua 6, looking at the first major battle in the promised land, the conquest of the city of Jericho. So let's look at uh, Joshua 6, starting in verse 1. Let's read some of these verses together. Now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites. They knew they were coming. No one leaving or entering. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? <laughs> We're kind of shut down. Nobody's going. Nobody's leaving. Everything's just kind of put on pause. Verse 2 says, The Lord said to Joshua, Look, I have handed Jericho, its king and its best soldiers, over to you. I'll try to keep up with you on these verses here. Verse 3 says, March around the city with all the men of war circling the city, one at a time, one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horn trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the trumpets. When there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear its sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout, and then the city wall will collapse. And the troops will advance, each man straight ahead. So Jericho, the city, its rulers, its inhabitants, they were prepared for this attack to come by the Israelites. The only thing is they didn't know exactly what kind of attack was coming. You see, from a military perspective, the leaders of Jericho most likely would have expected the Hebrews to rush the gate. Somehow try and find the most vulnerable point in those great city walls and penetrate that wall in order to gain entrance into the city and then make their attack. But you can imagine their reaction when all this begins to play out. On day one, when the Hebrews march up to the wall, the troops, the priests... They've got the Ark of the Covenant. Maybe the guards in Jericho sound the alarm. They say, hey, get ready to protect the gate. Here they come. And then the people of Israel simply turn and just start walking around the city. And not only that, but they do it 
in complete silence. The Bible says that no man uttered a word. And the only sound that there is is this low rumble of footsteps as the nation of Israel marches with the ark of God around the walls of Jericho. And then, instead of attacking the city, they make their lap and they simply turn and go right back into their camp. Man, you talk about some confusion. <laughs> Trying to figure out what these people were up to. And this goes on for six days. The same thing. Marching. Silence. One big lap. And then they head back to their camp. And not only do you wonder what's going through the people of Jericho's minds, but what's going through the people of Israel's minds? you got to think, did they, did they wonder, is this really going to work? Did God really tell us this? Or is this something Joshua came up with? Do we really have to go out and do this again today? We're not, we're not getting anywhere. But if anyone asks Joshua, you've got to think, the, the best and really the only response that Joshua could have was just simple faith. The Lord said to do this, guys. So it's what we're going to do. But then the seventh day comes. Let's skip down to verse 15. Verse 15 says, Early on the seventh day, they started at dawn and they marched around the city seven times in the same way. That was the only day they marched around the city seven times. Now, you could imagine the conversations going on in Jericho. For the seventh day in a row, these Hebrews came out to march around this city. But instead, after the first lap going back to their camp, they began to take another lap and then another and then another. And you can imagine how the fear began to set in upon the inhabitants of Jericho as they, they tried to figure out what was happening. And on the flip side of that, you, not, not fear, but the faith that's displayed by God's people as they faithfully marched and they trusted the Lord. They trusted, the, as Joshua says, the captain of their salvation, that he was going to be faithful, that he was going to fulfill his promises and fulfill his word to give them this city and to give them this entire Land. Man, aren't you glad that God is trustworthy today? I'm thankful that God still, uh, His word is still true. That His promises are still trustworthy. And that we can rely on whatever He tells us, whatever His word says. The story goes on, verse 16. It says, After the seventh time, the priests blew the trumpets, and Joshua said to the troops, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. But the city and everything in it are set apart to the Lord for destruction. Now get this. He adds something really interesting here. Only Rahab, the Sunday school teacher, Rahab, the choir singer. <laughs> no, the Bible makes it pretty clear. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and everyone with her in her house will live because she hid the messengers that we sent. Man, of all the people... In this city, Joshua and the Lord chose to spare this one woman and her family. And I tell you, she's not a reputable woman by any stretch of the imagination. She's a lady of the night, one of the oldest professions in the oldest city, in the, one of the oldest cities in the world. But she, of all people, she was spared partially because she helped the spies that were sent to Jericho. And Joshua 2 tells us this story, tells us how she helped the spies escape by letting them down the city wall from her own window. 
using a scarlet thread or a scarlet rope. And the spies, once they were out, they instructed her to place that same scarlet thread in her window when they return. So when they come, they'll know which house is hers and that she and everyone in her house would be spared. And all throughout Scripture, we see what people call the scarlet thread of redemption with God holding one end of this, this lifeline, calling out to us just to take it in faith and be saved. But notice what happens next when Joshua gave the command. Skip to verse 20. It says, So the troops shouted and the trumpets sounded. And when they heard the blast of the trumpets, the troops gave a great shout and the wall collapsed. The troops advanced into the city, each man straight ahead, and they captured the city. They completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword. Every man, woman, both young and old, every ox, sheep, and donkey. You talk about a victory. It was total annihilation for the most part. And we people love to debate. Even today, how did the walls, how did the great walls of Jericho fall? Maybe the marching and the shout made them collapse. Maybe an earthquake took place at the exact moment when God told them to sound the trumpet. But I tell you what, either way, I've seen the rubble. Those walls came down, and the point is that God said they would fall, and guess what? They fell. He gave the city to Joshua and the people. It wasn't by their might. It wasn't by their strength that they destroyed the city. It was by faith. And more on that in just a minute. But for us, what does this city represent? It represents a lot of things. It represents those things in life that, frankly, just seem impossible to us. Those walls in our lives that we think can never be torn down. Strongholds that we feel like we don't have the strength to overcome. It may be an addiction. It may be an attitude that we can't shake. It could be just an impossible situation in our lives. And the truth is, listen carefully, they won't be overcome by our strength or by our sheer willpower. The Bible says, not by strength nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And just like these walls fell by faith, it will take faith to overcome the Jerichos of our lives. Not only that, but those that are lost this morning, and you know who you are, those that are on the fringe that maybe you're looking for peace, and you're looking for joy, you're looking for something concrete in a chaotic life, you're looking for a salvation. I can tell you folks, it won't come by any other means, by any other thing other than faith, faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 22 says, Joshua said to the two men who had scouted the land, Go to the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of there and all who are with her, just as you swore to her. So the young men who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. You know, what's amazing to me is that not only was 
Rahab, this pretty poor character, saved by faith. But she brought in everybody that she possibly could. Her whole family, at least, were spared. They were saved because she acted on faith. I like to think that she crammed as many people into that little house that she had as she possibly could. And man, what a lesson for the church. Who are we reaching out to? Who are we trying to rescue from sure condemnation and destruction? Do we have the faith to gather our family, to gather our friends who would otherwise perish if not for us reaching out to them? We went through a series a while back called Who's Your One? And I'll give you that same question again today. Who is that one person that you today are committed to praying for and committed to reaching with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because notice what happened to the rest of the people. Verse 24 says, They burned the city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. However, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute. If we didn't catch what she was, Joshua tells us one more time. Her father's family and all who belonged to her because she hid the messengers Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho. And get this, and she still lives in Israel today. An unlikely character saved those two spies. And in return, she was saved from certain death. And not only that, but she became one of God's own people. You know, the few women of the Old Testament that are mentioned in the New Testament. Rahab is one of those few. She's listed in the very bloodline of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that scarlet thread of redemption. It runs the course of the Word of God from the very beginning with the shedding of blood for God's people that God slaughtered the animals in the garden to cover man's shame and nakedness through the ram that took Isaac's place that God provided on Mount Moriah through the blood of the Passover lamb that we read about in Egypt, through the sacrificial system of the tabernacle and all the blood that was shed for mankind, through the scarlet thread of Rahab, through the temple that would be built in Jerusalem, all the way to the old rugged cross where Jesus bled and died once for all of our sins. And each step of the way, God provides the blood of redemption and we receive salvation through faith. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about this very story. The author says it was by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. It wasn't by their strength, by their power, by their might. It was by their faith. Verse 31 says it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and did not perish with those who disobeyed. Disobedience is equivalent to a lack of faith. And so again, though, you think of all the people, <laughs> this was a good-sized city, of all the people God could have spared in this city, maybe people that had something to offer, maybe people that knew the lay of the land they were going into, maybe people that had relationships that they could set up trade and maybe tell you who's strong and who's weak and who to conquer and who to leave alone, people that were maybe even good people, by the standards of the day. 
But this lesson is here to teach us an important truth. And that's that Jesus didn't come just to save the wealthy. And He didn't just come to save the wise. And He didn't just come to save those that are considered worthy. The Bible says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. <laughs> that includes me. It includes you too. It includes, as Jesus would say in John chapter 3, whosoever would believe in Him, who would have faith in Him, they would not perish, but could have everlasting life. And folks, I'll just be honest with you. If that's you today, if that's you this morning watching online, here's what I want you to do. I can't see you right now, but if that's you and you need to be saved, I want you to just send us a message or, or something. Wherever you are, you don't have to even be local. We, we want to guide you to becoming a Christian this morning. You can send us a message, you can leave us a voicemail, whatever you need to do. But if you are a believer, here's a challenge for you. Challenge for the church this morning. First and foremost, you've got to realize, guess who you are in this story? You're Rahab the prostitute. Never think that you're any more deserving than that lady back in the book of Joshua. And the challenge is this. Who is it that you're rescuing? Who is it that you in faith are reaching out to? And trying to draw them in and lead them to salvation. Is it your friends? Is it your family like Rahab? Is it your co-workers? Is it your neighbors? Because they need you. Because they need Jesus. And that's what you have to offer. Thank you for tuning in with us this morning wherever you are. Like I said, if there's something that you'd like us to pray about, by all means, leave us a message or a comment. We'll do our very best to follow up with you. Church, I want you to know that I love you. We're st I'm still here for you, and I'm praying for you every day. And I just want to close this out in a word of prayer and say, uh, have a wonderful day and a week. Keep looking for some more messages as we move forward. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord, that wherever we are this morning, whether we're gathered here in this church building, God, whether we're gathered in our living room or we're in our car listening to this podcast later, I thank you that you're with us. Thank you, Lord, that when we don't see it at all, we don't feel it, we have so many questions and so many doubts, God, we know that you're still at work. And God, this morning I trust that as your word has went out, that it will not return void. God, I trust in faith that you're working in somebody's heart right now. And God, whatever decision that somebody needs to make, God, maybe they need to let some things go. God, maybe we need to be a better Christian. God, to reach out to more people. Maybe there's somebody that needs salvation. Somebody that needs to be baptized. God, whatever it is, God, I'm trusting you to do the work that only you can do. Father, we love you. We pray that you continue to be with us through this, what can be a scary time for many folks. Please watch over us. And God, we look forward to the day when you bring us back together in person. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in today. And remember, the greatest decision that you could ever make is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and begin a personal relationship with Him. Again, thanks for listening. God bless.